Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. Uh, I'm Steve Norman. This week I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. Owen Hughes. Hello. And Jerry McCauley completing, this, completing this quartet of critics. Uh, this week we have got um, the news and a quiz and what we've been watching and a triple bill of best or worst, whichever the critic has chosen, movie jobs or movie companies to work for uh so we'll start off with the quiz shall we i can i can never remember the scores but i, I i've got five now and i think i think it's five three two but i don't know who's got three probably owen because jerry's did, rubbish did i this. have three or two i don't remember uh, i might be five two two then either way i'm definitely storming this anyway <laughs> uh let's kick off then with this actor or actress in 1994 police rescue the movie <laughs> what <laughs> I don't know but I'm adding that to my love film <laughs> it's a real thing um, 1998 Elizabeth ok yeah there's an obvious one that I don't want to go for yet <laughs> uh, 1999 Pushing Tin James yes James Kate Blanchett it is Kate Blanchett <laughs> Yeah, so in 1999, the talented Mr. Ripley, uh, also in all the Lord of the Rings films, um, Life Aquatic, The Aviator, Bay- and the beginning of Hot Fuzz. Yeah. She's the police person with a mask on. Yeah, that's a nice little cameo. Yeah, um, and lots of other things as well. She's um, truly excellent in The Aviator, by the way. I'm she sure. is. Yeah, this doesn't get discussed. Mm. And yes, so Police Rescue, the movie, uh, I think her career has taken off since then, to be fair. Yeah, I'm going to look into that now, though. Yeah, I kind of want to know more, but I can't stop. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows a bad film, and it's probably best yeah. if you got hers out of the way at the start. Get it out of the way early doors, that's right, when no one's looking. Perfect. Then just deny it. Yeah. Or go, I was young, I needed the money. Yeah. I hope it's not that kind of film, <laughs> but... Although part of me hopes it is. <laughs> Not. <laughs> anyway, the news. Yes. Da, 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 da. Um, yeah, it's quite, quite a bit of news. Um, I just want to say thank you very much to Jerry for doing, being our roving news hound and digging up a load of stories today because I just didn't get around to it. But um first one is quite big news uh, and considering kind of a standing item on our agenda every week seems to be the ongoing uh, green light and thing of various different superhero movies Christian Bale has confirmed that he will not play Batman again in 
any upcoming Justice League film or any new Batman films or anything like that. Kind of, it, it's not unsurprising at all. Um, I think he sees himself as being a very serious actor and he's he's done that and he had fun doing it and he's moved on. Uh, it's also quite interesting to say that he seems to have no idea what's going on with any future film. He doesn't seem that bothered, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was uh, just a case of, well, you know, he, he's done with that now. Um, it was quite nice the way he said uh, he feels that it's something that an actor has to be passed on from actor to actor. Yeah. You know, it's a real kind of... It's becoming a cinematic classic role. Yeah. He says, let's not get greedy. It's nice. Um, it, to be honest, apart from that that kind of behind-the-scenes video on uh, Terminator Salvation, he's always seemed like a decent bloke to me. Uh, he's he's obviously very committed to his his art. But at the same time, it's a decent... It's quite a nice little interview. Um, My favourite yeah, Christian no. Bale fact, by the way, is that I've said this before... His mum is a raging feminist and tried to get American Psycho banned, and he ended up playing Bateman. Yeah, that's nice. So that's he is very dedicated to his art because he yeah. does not give a flying fuck what his mum thinks. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and yeah, God, isn't American Psycho just such a great film? I, I haven't watched it in a few years now. I, I, I don't own it, unfortunately. Otherwise, I'd, I'd be tempted to watch it after this. But yeah, fair play, Christian. But um, the other big story. I say big. It's quite big in terms of independent film. Um, Kevin Smith has announced there, there is going to be a Clerks three. I'm on one. I'm not sure how I feel about this. Big fan of Kevin Smith's early work myself, and I love Clerks. I'm really disappointed by Clerks two, which kind of wasn't really surprising. It wasn't great. But the big thing about this is that he was tempted to go down the Kickstarter, the crowdsourcing route, and he's decided not to. Um, and apparently he nearly did it for Red State. And interesting uh, interview with him was uh, he read a, a blogger say that Kevin Smith is going to start begging for his next movie. Uh, and he thought, oh, God, no, I don't want to be that person. So he is doing it in the way he's going to get financing for his film, probably through the Weinsteins, and then get it out in Sundance. Uh, he hopes in time for Sundance in January, uh, which is quite a short yeah turnaround there. I love the, um, the way he described this, by the way, as um, it's on a desk somewhere in the Weinstein company. Yeah. And you just think how just many brilliant, that as well. <laughs> how many brilliant scripts and pictures and stuff must they just have? Just It's like, you imagine they've just got filing cabinets with all these like yeah. film ideas just overflowing. Like, which one should we do? Uh, pick one out of the drawer. We'll go for that one. Yeah, yeah and, and to and be fair to him though, if, if he does get the Weinsteins to sort of approve it, he'll probably end up getting Oscar nominated, won't he? Yeah, <laughs> it's about time that Kevin Smith received an Oscar. Yeah, best actor award. That's no, very Smith true. No, Bob. Yeah, they'll they'll find someone because um, they very nearly got Michael Parks an Oscar nomination for Red State. Mm. Yeah, they they were not far off of that. There was a lot of buzz around that, and Red State's a hugely hugely flawed film, but Michael Parks is very good in it. I think he was one of my um. I was going to choose him for when we did great performances in bad films. Uh, he was one of my almost ones there. But what I, do, what I do like about this, though, is that you know Kevin Smith can get a film made without having to rely on... And I'm, I'm going to bring up Zach Braff here, because he very, very recently um, went on Kickstarter, 
and basically asked for about eight million dollars or something. Like that. I, think, I think it was two million dollars from the Kickstarter uh, fund to make his next film. Um, okay, fair enough. Uh, but what what kind of really annoys me about this is a there's no way for like people who invest in this way get nothing back in terms of potential investments uh, and I know that's a fault of Kickstarter and not Zach Graff but to me if I wanted to if I was going to invest in a film I personally I think the chance of making some money back on it wow that'd be quite interesting but that that's a different thing my my other main issue with it is that Zach Graff could have got financing and he admitted the financing was in place to make this film but he was worried about the integrity of his film and basically he wants to make it exactly his way and my issue with it is there's a danger here where you are relying on fans to make things and charge you know getting money off them in the first place and then expecting them to go and watch it in the cinema and it, it just feels a little bit when when you've got very successful people who can open doors, who can get the financing for their film. My my personal worry is that they p- potentially overshadow a lot of people who are trying to get financing for their films that haven't got the opportunities and the open doors and the LA pool parties where they can probably chat to about 50 different millionaires who happily got half a million pound just dr- to drop on a movie. That is my worry about what's happening here, and it was—it's just—it just leaves a bit, of t- a bit of a bitter taste in the mouth for me when very successful, rich, um, and connected people are asking ordinary people to dip into their pockets to help them make a film. I don't know what anyone else thinks, but it is something that's been bugging me for a little while about the whole Kickstarter Indiegogo scene. Yeah, there's definitely sort of ethical. Um and more moral issues around it, isn't mm. that? I mean, asking people to just... The Zach Braff stuff was just asking someone to give him money when he could legitimately have found funding for it. You know, he's a big enough draw himself anyway. Yeah. He's always going to have a fan base. It probably would have been a bankable film without people having to pay up front for, yeah. you know, just whatever it was he was offering, just like a... Was it two hundred grand, and you'd get like a cameo in the background of his film or something like that? Yeah, you know? there was there was some really really hipsterish perks in there as yeah. well. It was it, the Zach Braff one was one of the most hipsterish ones. Like, oh, he'll make a special. Everyone knows how much he put, how much effort he puts into his soundtracks, and he'll like make a special. Pl- he'll release the tracks on a special playlist week by week. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah. I mean, yeah, so, that, that. but I think that, I don't think it's something you can you know rule out completely though for other films i think it's a it's a good mm. method for smaller projects to to get yes. funded oh definitely and and yeah i've i've funded i've funded some uh some short films yeah, and some things like that on there without any expectation really of anything back just like kind of arts charity mm. donating almost in a way um and kickstarter themselves to you know to you know write a reply and everything um they have said that it's not a zero sum thing it's not like there's only a certain amount of money that people are willing to give so if a big name comes in smaller people don't get the money but i think they're bound to say that yeah simply because they quite like the uh the publicity that these big names give to their website and to be fair it does raise it potentially raises the profile which means that other people might then look at other things which are less high profile it just it just what and it's 
what annoys me, like the Veronica Mars one, I, I'll be honest, I don't, I've never even seen the programme. And I know that a lot of people were like, well, without Kickstarter, there wouldn't be new Veronica Mars happening. And I've no idea whether that's true or not. But my worry is that studios are now asking fans to cough up before they even produce something. Yeah. And that, again, I just don't like the dynamic there. <laughs> Um, from studios, uh, you know, I, I understand it from small people who've got no money and have got no time. And literally, this is, although even some of those really annoy me because it's like, please give me some money to make a film just because I want to make a film. Yeah, it's like, yeah. well, hang on, you know, where, where's the quality? You know, the, at the lower end, you also get people who kind of almost expect to be given money to make a film just because they want to make a film. That annoys me as well, to be honest. Um, I'm just a crotchety old bastard today. Um, <laughs> no, I think yeah. there are a lot of people who do abuse Kickstarter. You know, not just like filmmakers, but you get people on there who just want to go travelling for a bit and just want people yeah. to give them money and they'll send them photos or something stupid like that. Yeah. And it's just think it's it's really not what Kickstarter's for. It's to right. help projects get funding to get off the ground. Yeah. Um, you know, to hopefully launch some careers for people. Uh, yeah. in, in a legitimate way and, and I just think not that Kickstarter is not legitimate but you know what I mean in a sort of more mm. formal professional uh, way yeah um, and I just think projects like Zach Braff's idea and I think it's it's good that someone like Kevin Smith has come out and openly said he doesn't think it's a good way for him to, yeah. to fund his film even though he knows probably would have been able to fund it through Kickstarter because there would have been enough people yeah. who are big Kevin Smith fans and would want to see a Clerks see. So to, for him to take this step is 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 quite serious, I think, and you know it's, yeah. it's something to be admired. Yeah. Okay. Any more news? Um, not that unless anyone else wants to add anything there. Just to to bring some positivity back, Bridesmaid Two is not being made for purely artistic reasons, even though commercially there's a lot of pressure to do it, which is nice. So all the stars and and the filmmakers decided no, it wouldn't be right to make a crappy. Uh, sequel. Uh, From your tone there, Jerry, did you like the first one, or are you just really pleased there won't be no, another one? I, I couldn't quite tell from your tone. Bridesmaids was was one of the more surprising films. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I, yeah, no, because I agree with you, and and I like the fact that they're saying that. Although I can't help thinking that this is one of those where. Um, that I think at some point money will talk and they will make another one, to be honest. I, I think they're talking the right talk at the moment, well, and while there's not a story, but I can't help thinking that at some point they'll just have millions shoved in front of their faces and they'll... Yeah, but the nice thing about They'll not help is, themselves. It was, it, this was, you know, when it first came out, and obviously it was a massive success. I can't mm. remember how small the budget was, but, you know, it made like ten times its budget or something. It's a huge crossover. It was one of those sleeper crossover hits, and I had people talking to me who just don't go to the cinema saying, oh, you should, ta- you should take Kate to go and see Bridesmaids. You know, it, was, it was one of those films that people go and watch even though they don't really go to the cinema. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's a genuinely funny film. I mean, some people, you get the old hipsters, oh, it's absolute shit, oh, women aren't funny. Like, it's really funny. But regardless of that, the, the, when it was, you know, all that was, was happening and it was being very successful, that's when the studio was saying, right, you know, let's get signed up, let's make another, yeah. let's, let's ride the back of it. And all of them said, no. No, we we don't want to dilute it. You know, the, the directors, the producers, the screenwriters, Kristen Veig, they all said no. And you know, you think for someone like Kristen Veig, that's kind of launched her into into yeah. mainstream, and she still was like, no. She could have named a price. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And and yeah, hopefully, uh, yeah. If 
if in five, six years' time that same team comes up with a, a legitimate good idea and they want to take it, that should be where it comes from. If a sequel comes, it should be because they think they've got another story to tell. And exactly. Obviously, if they haven't, then fair play. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you, Jerry. So I hope the fucking people who made The Hangover 2 and 3 were listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> Too late for them now. <laughs> Huh? Yeah, bastards. Now, now for news from your region. <laughs> <laughs> now we'll be back briefly uh, with what we've been watching. So, what we've been watching um, this week, I have watched The Expendables two for some reason. I'm not going to spend long reviewing this, but the first one was all right. The second one is terrible. No one in it can act, or they choose not to act. I mean, Jason Statham, we might find out later, can act. You never know. Um, but anyway, no one decides to act. No one decides to do anything of note. All the one-liners have got no punch or charm or wit, and everyone spouting off their one-liners from other film series they do is just stupid and annoying, and I think it's in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most gurns in one film. I try not to be this obnoxious, Steve, on the podcast. I really do, but you're just so wrong. You're wrong. (laughs) This is wrong. That's impossible. I'm never wrong. What I would say... Did you not enjoy Jean-Claude Van Damme's performance as Villain? No, I thought he was rubbish. (gasps) Whoa! Whoa! It's his best performance in years. I'm just going to take this opportunity to hand my notice in. Uh, (laughs) You've literally just shattered everything Owen stands for. <laughs> this is entire world. You don't have to hand your notice and it's voluntary. You can leave now if you want. The bit where he did a roundhouse kick into a knife into a man's chest. That was amazing. Yeah, they went downhill after that. <laughs> They've done that too early, if anything. What did the one-liners as well, though, Steve? One-liners. I know you yeah, to man and knife. Man and knife is brilliant. Felt like just turning it off there. And if it had been said with an Austrian accent, everyone <laughs> would be quoting that for years. Anyway, the film, the film that I'm actually here to review is This Is the End that uh, James reviewed last week, but um, his opinion counts for nothing, so I thought I'd better. <laughs> <laughs> this is the man of the people reviewing. <laughs> yeah, essentially, it was in my summer preview as I went comedy special. And my first one, 21 and over, was okay, so I didn't do badly there. My second one was This Is The End, starring Seth Rogen and Jonah Hill, Danny McBride, um, and, a, and basically everyone's playing themselves in it. Yeah, so everyone's playing themselves, um, James Franco's in it as well. They're at a party at James Franco's house, all these celebrities and famous people and wonderful people. Then the world decides to end, um, and it is very funny. I suppose it's one of the better comedies recently. Uh, if you don't like kind of super bad or you know the kind of Seth Rogen Jonah Hill kind of comedies Pineapple Express that kind of thing you probably won't like this film I think that's fair to say is it James yeah oh yeah there's people who will hate this film there's people who will think it's far too self-aware and it's up its own arse and stuff like that um but if if you like those actors this is one of the better films featuring those actors I think if that makes sense. It, it, for me, it was the funniest film I'd seen since, um, it, from an American mainstream comedy, um, since 21 Jump Street, and it was a very similar sense of humour. 
I'm tempted to go and see it. I mean, I didn't really like uh, Superbad that much, but it does look quite good from the tra- trailers that I've seen. They've made Wait. it to be quite funny, and it's getting quite good reviews from pretty much everyone. You didn't like yeah. Superbad? No. I didn't see it when I was a teenager. I don't know if that makes any difference. I saw it when I was a bit older, I'd... and I just thought... Mm. I liked Superbad. Um, no, I, I, did you like 21 Jump Street? I've still not seen it. Oh man! Yeah, I know. I know. Every, that's another everyone says it's good, but I thought Superbad was one of those films that everyone just agreed was was kind of good, and no one really argued with that one. This, this is me, so yeah. This is, this is how we remember. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what it is, but no, I, di- I didn't think it was that good. There was the odd funny bit in it, but I don't know. I preferred this is the end to Superbad in a sense because I really like that meta style. People playing exaggerated versions of themselves. Comedy, I yeah, think that I can work really well. Essentially, everyone in This Is the End is playing an exaggerated version of themselves, or the main characters anyway. Michael Sarah is playing a ridiculously exaggerated yeah. version of himself. Some, some some of the cameos are just are just cameos. They're not playing versions of them. They're playing mm. themselves. They're not playing exaggerated versions. And they're just playing no. you know like Rihanna, parody. for example. Yeah, yeah, like Rihanna, Michael Sarah, Channing Tatum. We're all just playing. Themselves, but not them. Not anything. Better not be playing himself. Stop <laughs> maniac in this. But the, but some of the, the cameos—they're one of the things you get worried about when you see the trailer for this film. You think the cameos are going to be too thick and heavy, and they'll ruin it. But they're mostly out the way in the first twenty minutes, yeah. and, and the ones that actually have a big part as a cameo, which I'd say is Michael Sarah, uh, Emma Watson, and mm. Channing Tatum, maybe towards the end, are actually done really well, and the rest of the cameos. Yeah. You know, a minute on screen at the most, and and that's about yeah. it. Um, but as well as that, you, you, you know, these people all playing exaggerated versions of themselves do really well. I mean, Jonah Hill as kind of like now he's won an Oscar, kind of like a, I suppose a lovey in many ways. I don't think he won the Oscar. To be fair, <laughs> no, he did. No, did he? Win? He got nominated, he nominated for Moneyball. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, they they're all taking the mick out of themselves, which is probably quite hard to do in some ways. Especially for some people, it'd be quite hard to, you know, take the mick out of them. So, do you reckon playing? Yeah. Do you reckon playing yourself or a version of yourself is harder than playing somebody completely, you know, fictional? Um, I'd imagine it can be, especially because apparently um, Evan Goldberg, who co-wrote it with Seth Rogen and co-directed it with him, was basically doing his best to get them to. Uh, refused to do something on screen. He was really pushing it. And there's this one section where Danny McBride basically, just in about 30 seconds, completely demolishes every single one of their careers just really, really quickly. Um, and it must be... It must really hurt the ego sometimes. <laughs> and apparently a few of them... Re- at one point, um, you had to remind Jonah Hill and James Franco that they did like each other because they just went off on a scene and they really laid into each other and he had to call cut and say, no, don't, look, let's just calm down here. And they really got into it about absolutely just laying into but then, each other. you imagine that all these guys who made this film, the, the central characters, are all quite good mates. And when you're with a group of mates, especially if it's lads, you kind of do take the mick out of each other and yeah. take the mick out of everyone's faults. So you yes. kind of imagine that they wouldn't get too carried away with it for the most part. But... To end this review, really, because I think we're going over a lot of ground that James went over last yeah. week, is that when a lot of current big-budget Hollywood 
comedies, or maybe this wasn't such a big budget, but sort of well-promoted, well-starred Hollywood comedies fail. This one doesn't by a long way. It's one of the best comedies in years. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd like to think of it as a nice um, little appetizer before um, The World's End and Alpha Papa this summer, yeah. when British comedy shows to me exactly how it's done. <laughs> but it is a really nice kind of warm-up to a good summer of comedy, I think. Just quickly on uh, The World's End, now the second and third trailers are out, it looks a lot better. I was a bit worried when I saw the first. Yeah, it was a bit, I was, it was as well. It was a bit but... tame. But mm. now the second and third kind of trailers are out. It definitely looks a lot more. Yeah, very exciting. It's going to be good. Let's let's not even try it's to pretend definitely. that we're not all creaming ourselves about. Oh no. For me, it's just is it going to be that or Alpha Path? I, I don't know which one's go- I'm going to love more. But I'm not gonna... the Passage movie is not going to be good. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be brilliant. I, I, I've got more faith in that actually because uh, I, I don't think Armando Iannucci can do anything <laughs> wrong yeah. in his life ever. Um, so I've, I've actually got more faith in Partridge than The World's End, but I think they're both going to be brilliant. Have we talked about the, the Partridge autobiography audio book on here before? Yeah. No, but we are going Well, we have a bit, actually, but we've also got a massive Alan Partridge special coming up, so if you've got good stuff, you might want to save it for that. Uh, anyway, um, James, what have you <laughs> watched this week? Today, um, I, I went to see uh, Hummingbird, or known in some areas as Redemption. It's one of these stupid films with titles being different everywhere despite not being a world cinema release don't know why that is but um it's written and directed by Stephen Knight who wrote Eastern Promises the uh, Viggo Mortensen David Cronenberg film and also Dirty Pretty Things as well it stars Jason Statham in full deep voiced acting mode he's he's thesping up here um it also stars Agata Buzek, a Polish woman, um, and my good friend, Benny Wong. <laughs> Benny Wong's in it. I was so fucking happy when I saw... Uh, th- those of you don't haven't listened to the podcast since, since right near the beginning, uh, I am good friends with Jason Fleming and Benedict Wong, um, all from the Prometheus thing. Just listen to Prometheus special to find out about that. But yeah, my good friend Benny Wong's in it, um, as, a, as a Chinese gangster, obviously. Um, now, what I would say, basically, Staith plays a guy called Joey, who is a homeless man in London, and he's on the run after deserting from the army after an incident in the Helmand province where he went a bit crazy, suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and what happens is he he struggles to overcome his... Because he gets a chance to rebuild his life, a really unlikely chance, and anyone who's seen the trailer will kind of know what's happening here, is um, he kind of breaks into uh, a building to escape from something, and it turns out the guy living there is aware in New York until October, so he kind of like assumes this bloke's life for a little bit, uh, and it helps him rebuild his life, uh, but soon he starts working for Chinese gangsters... Uh, and carrying out some pretty nasty, kind of dirty work for them. And he also starts to fall for a nun uh, who is questioning her faith. Um, What I will say about this film, it's a bit ridiculous. For a film that is actually meant to be very serious, it's a bit bloody ridiculous in places. Uh, It just, you know, the, the fact that he just ends up in this apartment and everything is there for him to just assume this guy's life. Basically, um, this guy, on his answer phone message, 
says his phone number and then says, you can't catch me on this number because I'm going to be in New York until October 1st. Who would do that and just advertise publicly that their house is going to be... That seems stupid. Also, he got like new bank cards sent in and new bank pins sent in the post. If you're going away to New York, you don't ask for... Uh, it, just, it was just like, oh, this is all very easy for someone to have just come in and like taken over their life for a bit. It seemed a little bit convenient. Um, and a few of the plot turns as well, very, very convenient. Some of them, for a reason, kind of using dramatic irony, basically it all comes to a big head on October the 1st. A lot of threads pull together on that date, and it's a little bit of a coincidence that they all pull together on that date. Um, but you kind of... The, that happens in a lot of films. You let that get... Kind of... You let it get away with it. But, um... But yeah, the the coincidence is getting a little bit much. It's got a lot of ideas. Um, Anyone who's seen Eastern Promises and Dirty Pretty Things, it's got very similar ideas around the real kind of gritty underworld in London. It uh, approaches issues of homelessness, of forced prostitution and people trafficking, quite nasty at times, you know, protection money and gangsters, that kind of thing. and obviously Stephen Wright has written these things really well before. And this is where my tortured football analogy comes in. It's a bit like Steve McLaren. Okay, Steve McLaren was on the coaching staff at Manchester United when they were successful. And then he was on the coaching staff um, when England... Actually, you know, we think back, looking at England now, think back to the glory days of when we used to get to quarterfinals and go out on penalties. You know, it's... Basically, he was he was behind the scenes and he was laying down good foundations. But as soon as he got a chance to be in charge, it all come came crashing to an end. And it's the same here. As soon as Stephen Wright gets a chance to film one of his own scripts, the direction is really really lacking in places. And sometimes it's comical. There's a scene where two characters get together and have sex, and the camera just pans along. The apartment seeing discarded bits of clothes, like in a really horribly comical, cliched way. And it's like no one actually does that in real life. You know, it's trying to be realistic. No one takes off an individual piece of clothing, like a bit at a time as they go to a bedroom. Oh, I, I certainly never have. I don't know about you lads. Uh, it just feel it felt really weird and cliched. And the other thing as well is, it had too many ideas going on. And I think what probably happened in Wright's past is that. His scripts have probably been brimming with a lot of ideas, and directors have focused down on the the essential elements of the story. Whereas here, he's he's, I think he's too wedded to his script and too many ideas going on there. And what happens is, you you treat too many ideas and you never really scratch beneath the surf, surface of any of them. So we've got prostitution, we've got people trafficking, and what he ends up focusing on is Joey's search for revenge against one man. And with all of this going on in the background, this search for one just feels a little bit cliched, feels a little bit formulaic, and feels just like a a Hollywood film. It doesn't really tackle any of the big issues, which is is another failing of the film. That said, um, Jason Statham actually does a very good job in this film. I I believed him uh, as a homeless man. I believed him as a man who's quite conveniently put his act together, and they kind of forget about the post-traumatic stress disorder quite quickly. Uh, so he kind of gets over that a little bit easy. He gets his life back together pretty easily, uh, which is another thing. But he's very good. And Agatha, uh, Agatha Buzek 
very, very good as the nun uh, that he is kind of starting to form a relationship with as well. Um, so, yeah, it's not great. Um, I wanted it to be better. I think it could have worked quite well as a longer TV series on the BBC, a kind of three or four part television series. You might have had a chance to fully flesh it out, but as it is, sadly, I can't really recommend it. Oh, that's a shame. Mm. It did look quite um, interesting. And like you say, seeing Statham act rather than just be the action yeah. hero is quite interesting as well. And it's kind of worth... Do you know what? If you've got if you've got a Cineworld Unlimited card and it's showing near you, go and watch it because it is quite interesting to see a slightly different side to Statham. You do get to see him kick the shit out of some blokes as well, which is good. Mm. You, know, you, get, you do get to see what you like to see the Statham do. Um, and and his acting's pretty good, and it, it's quite interesting because this is out pretty much the same time as The Rock, America's version of the state, uh, <laughs> is also doing some acting in Snitch. Yeah. Um, so it's quite interesting that both of them have kind of approached trying to expand their repertoire uh, at a similar time in their careers. And I've not seen Snitch yet, but I've heard reasonably good things about that the the other thing i did say, i saw a proper full-length trailer for pain and gain and that actually looks hilarious and, bri- and i'm actually now having seen a full-length trailer for pain and gain i'm genuinely excited by it and that's a michael bay film what's going on with the world <laughs> i am okay. excited for pain and gain uh jerry what have you watched then this week um briefly well, we'll not talk about the campaign. Steve's talked about how shit that is already, I think. Uh, watched uh, There Will Be Blood, actually, because I've not seen it since more or less when it came out, and mm. to be perfectly honest, I was I was kind of tired of falling asleep during it the first time I watched it, so I couldn't really remember much about it. Uh, really, really good film. Not quite sure I understand why he gets so much acclaim for the performance. It's a good performance, but it's not like the greatest performance I've ever seen, but anyway... Mm. Good film. Paul Paul Dano's probably better in it, in my opinion. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, it's a more nuanced performance, and I I prefer Daniel Day Lewis's Lincoln. I do. I like watching um, Dan, Daniel. What's his name? Proudfoot? No, that's not right. What's his character? What's his character in There Will Be Blood? I can't remember his name anyway. Um, yeah. I preferred him as Lincoln. I thought that was a more nuanced performance. I do think it's a little bit campy, a little bit shouty. Yeah, some of it's a bit over the top. But, um, yeah. It's a great performance. So I agree with you. I agree. I think it is a slightly overrated performance. He's very good in it, and he's very, very watchable, but I do think it's a slightly overrated performance. He's great. Uh, it's just, it, it dipped in the middle a little bit, but you know, it, was, it was good. It was a good film. Uh, what I really wanted to talk about, actually, is Despicable Me 2, which I... I had a very enjoyable trip to the cinema to see this weekend, and I think Owen did as well. Yes, yeah, it was really good fun. But I, w- I want to hear what you, you thought of it, first of all. Because you, you um, seem to be um, praising it quite a lot on Twitter when I saw it. And also, Jerry was the one who told me originally that I should watch Despicable Me too as well, because I'd kind of, like, ignored that as... Uh, uh, the first one, uh, as a kind of kid's film, and Jerry's... Jerry was the one who said I should watch it, and I, I enjoyed that. So Jerry's always been a bit of a champion of the series. Yeah, I mean, for one, I mean, take, setting aside the actual film, it's nice to see a sort of newcomer to the animation scene uh, in Illumination Entertainment. You know, this was their first scene. They've gone on and made the Lorax, which I haven't seen. Rubbish. Well, you know, <laughs> 
it's you know it's nice to have a bit of a sort of break to yeah. that. Um, it's the first film was kind of a surprising success. You know, no one really expected it to be as good as it was, and it suffered slightly by the fact that there was um, House Train Your Dragon and Toy Story Three came out in the same year. So it, it was kind of the third best animated film of that year. Yeah, I mean it's it's an outstanding film. Uh, the first one, there's a lot of sort of nuanced little jokes in there, lots of very knowing cinematic references, and it's it's that kind of blend that you want from from these kind of films where there's lots and lots of things that keep the adults entertained, but the kids can can really enjoy it as well. The second one is actually I don't think it's as subtle. I don't think there's it's quite got as many great sort of gags around the subject matter of having a villain as the mm. the central figure rather than a hero. Um, and it's lost some of that originality, but refreshingly, they didn't just try and drag all the same old Titan jokes out. And they did a lot of slightly different things with it, and they took it to different places. And it's funnier than the first one, actually. I think it's it's probably not quite as good a film, but it's definitely a funnier film. And... It's just brilliant. I mean, the characters, we, we kind of already know most of the characters. Uh, it's really good to see Kristen Veig doing sort of... She, I mean, she was in the first one, which I think a lot of people didn't realise. Mm. Um, but it's nice to see her have a sort of expanded role here. And uh, gonna, There's a piece going up on the site, which you can you can all read, where you know, I kind of talk about... She is a very good female character for a movie. She is, you know, she's a secret agent... So she's got these kind of, you know, she can kick ass and she's, you know, she can do a bit of kung fu and she's she's fairly sort of unruffled in that sense when she needs to be. But she's also got the emotional vulnerability. Um, you know, she's susceptible to human emotion. She's not some hyper-masculine uh, sort of action character. She, there's not a sort of conforming to one strict stereotype. There's a, sort of a blend of a few. And it's nice to just see a sort of multi-layered female character in a kid's film because it's nice to just teach kids that do you know what not everyone is just x or y or z people mm. people are all all three you know people are an entire fucking alphabet if you want to continue that analogy and it's nice to have a bit of complexity to the characters here which you don't usually get in in animated films and kids films it's it's just really funny i really enjoyed it uh, i mean i can't really explain in too great detail because it was just a thoroughly enjoyable movie going experience the voice talent in it was cracking as well I mean Russell Brand as Dr. Nefario he's barely recognisable you know it's fantastic and same with Mm. Steve Carell they they transform their voices quite significantly Um, but you've also got people like I mean Steve Coogan's in it James so you can go and watch it just because Steve Coogan's in it do you know what I got really excited about the fact that um, Al Pacino was in it and then weirdly just like six weeks before release, he got dropped. Well, he wasn't in it anymore, and they got um, got, oh, is it Benjamin Bratt? Is yeah. it from I, from Catwoman? <laughs> I think he he's his voice work is actually really really good as well. Yeah, but do we know what happened with Pacino? There was some kind of conflict, artistic differences, whatever. Weird. You know, you wonder just six weeks before release. Mm. That's just bizarre. I mean, it's a very sort of over the top Mexican character so you wonder whether Pacino was not taking it to the sort of Mexican extreme right. whether it was a bit generic or whatever or whether he was doing mm. too much of his own spin on it and they wanted him to yeah, to go in a certain direction and him being Pacino okay. was like I know what I'm fucking doing I'll do this Yeah, you wonder if that goes on but 
you know, that Ken Jeong uh, of Hangover fame. Because this is the man who did that film with Adam Sandler last year about his fat sister. Yeah, because so, I was thinking, sure, well, he's clearly not got any standards anymore, <laughs> Pacino. So, is that, so has he been sacked rather than he left the project? That, that's the only thing I was thinking. But they haven't really, they haven't really said. Yeah, it's an interesting. But as, so Benjamin Bratt does a good job. That's good. Though. I thought he was very good, actually. Yeah, yeah. He did a he did a very good job, and it's just there's there's some really sort of crackling dialogue in there it's very very tight in terms of the script I think the ending is unresolved or largely I think Owen will agree which is but they, they cover that up nicely with some musical numbers which you won't go into but they were you know there was always things bringing a smile to your face and it was nice as well I don't want to spoil it but there's a parent daughter a common parent-daughter conflict to do with sort of teenage years and things with teenage girls and boys. And it was nice to not have it just side with the kids all the time and, oh, look at the big bad parent. You know, you, mm. you genuinely saw it from the parent side as well. So it's, oh, it's just, God, it's going to get me. I've got a feeling <laughs> this is going to get me. I mean, it's nice. I mean, yeah, I mean, finishing off my point about the voice talent as well, uh, Kristen Schaal was absolutely unrecognisable in this. I didn't even know it was her until I checked afterwards. Oh, okay. So uh, Kristen Shaw is the the weird one from mm. Flight of the Concords, and she <laughs> yeah. she plays a completely different character. So you can't even tell it's her. Okay. Um, but yeah, absolutely, really enjoyable experience. Really funny, um, and just uh, I know it sounds really cheesy, but it was nice being in a cinema with lots of kids who were enjoying it and laughing, and sort of you know you you kind of got a buzz off that as well, mm. and it, and it was good. You know, it's, it's a good film to go and watch in the cinema rather than wait until it comes out on DVD because I think you, you gain something from that atmosphere and the excitement and, and, and that kind of thing. It, it added to it as well. Definitely did for me as well, I think. But I, I, I can't remember what film it was I saw last year where I thought the same thing as well, where if, I, if I'd have just seen it at home, I don't think I'd have enjoyed it as much. I can't remember what it I think it was Rise of the Guardians or, mm. or something else. I think that might have explained my me really liking uh, Wreck-It Ralph as well because I saw that in a full cinema with a load of families who are really enjoying it and I do think sometimes the 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 ambiance mm. of the can can definitely affect your your enjoyment positively or negatively yeah yeah I mean we we had that with with Paranorman with Wreck-It Ralph as you say mm. Brave you know there is something to be said for kind of they're just the joy and, and, and sort of pure excitement that kids get from going to the cinema. It kind of reminds you of why you go to the cinema and, yeah. you know, when you used to go to the cinema, what got you into it in the first place? Because it's, it's exciting and it's enjoyable and you see something crazy and funny and nice and, you know, that, that's, it's nice. But yeah, we, I think, yeah, I think you, yeah, I was just going to say that I, I pretty much agree with with what you've said. Um the first film, though, I wasn't massively keen on the first film. I thought there were funny bits in it, um, and I did think the Minions were quite funny, although since Despicable Me's come out, they've been copied and replicated in tons of different other films, you know, and it's just dil- I thought it might have diluted them slightly with Despicable Me too. but they were actually really good again. And I think they, they do save the film through what is not a particularly good story. Um, yeah, I mean the story is is fairly irrelevant and weak in this, isn't it? But I, it, it yeah. seems like a conscious decision to sort of not really bother with the story too much. 
Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree. And I think in in that respect, it it works. The first the first film, the the story was integral to it. It was all about you know, um, kids who who get adopted and uh, what what it means to have family and all, all that kind of thing, which is quite good. And you know, it's important to you know with these stories in, in in kids' films that they're handled quite well. And it did do that well, but I just didn't think it was as funny as a lot of people said. This one, I just Despicable Me Two is just it was just so much more, just consistently funny. I think, and the, not just being consistent, but the laughs were bigger. Um, it just there were lots of times through this film where I just laughed out loud in the cinema. It didn't matter whether the kids were laughing or whether their mm. parents were laughing as well. It, it was just one of these films that you you just can't help but sort of, you know, blurt out with a big belly laugh every so often. And um, but you know, I do appreciate that the, the, the minions and those sort of silly characters they're not for everyone i know that you've mentioned you didn't like them um in the first film so much james uh, yeah uh, it's just i'm i'm not a huge fan of the humor yeah. I, I, I prefer i preferred the kind of self-referential movie villain stuff mm. in the first film than the minion stuff um and so i'm that they don't they don't make me want to watch the film. Okay. Put it that way. They did a good um, job in this as well. Of the minions didn't take over the film, but they still contributed a lot. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. They were basically okay. like short sketches, weren't they? That, that broke up the story a little bit. So every yeah. so often, you know, the plot would progress a little bit because, the, but because the the plot didn't really have a whole lot of substance mm. to it. The, the sort of minions created a bit of humour to keep things ticking over, and I I, I quite like though they they worked it into the. the the, the film and I, I did think they were genuinely funny as well and like like Jerry says if you if you don't laugh at the final scenes in this then there's something wrong with it because that was just one of the most hilarious things I've seen in a cinema yeah I think as well not the very first scene but the the sort of opening scene with dialogue and the closing scene of this were absolutely sort yeah. of they were two of the best scenes in the whole thing and I think that really affected it because your first impression of it is really really good and yeah. the impression they leave you with is excellent yeah it, is. Okay, it was cool. a really good animated film uh, and I did watch a few other animated films this week actually so I'm just going to steal Jerry's Thunder and move straight on to some <laughs> films that I watched which were um, I watched Rango which also mm-hmm. I think Jerry quite likes um, I really love Rango. Rango, yeah, very good film. Um, mm. No, I enjoyed Rango as well. Good, yeah, yeah. Rango, yeah. Brilliant. I thought the animation in it was fantastic. It's one of the best looking films it is I've amazing, ever seen. Isn't it? Yeah, it's an absolute um, stunning film. I mean, it is. It's just brilliant. I think I only realised as well while I was doing a bit of research for this today. Roger Ebert gave it five, uh, four stars. Oh, did it? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and he described it as some kind of of, of a miracle. An animated comedy for smart moviegoers, wonderfully made, great to look at, wickedly satirical, and gasp, filmed in glorious 2D. <laughs> well, no, I, I don't need to say anything there. I think that's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, stolen a bit he, of Roger. He yeah. says that he thinks it's up there with Blazing Saddles, and it deserves that comparison. I mean, I agree. Yep. What, do you? Would you agree with that? Absolutely, yeah, definitely. I think Blazing Saddles is a very funny film that does the, the whole spoof of the Western genre very well. Uh, and Rango's a kind of contemporary interpretation of, of that style, and it, it, I think it works really well. It's yeah. just got really good writing, I think. 
Mm. I think Johnny Depp is is fantastic. He puts in a brilliant sort of voice acting performance. I did quite like him anyway, even when the films he's in are sometimes terrible. He's still quite watchable. Yeah. In, in um, oh, in- and on that note, and, and and it's actually Gore Verbinski as well. The first word has come out about the Lone Ranger, and it's getting absolutely it's getting plated, isn't killed, yeah. isn't it? So. Um, which is interesting because it's exactly the same two people, mm. but um, but I don't know but, who's no, writing. Mango's fantastic. Yeah, no, I'm not sure who's writing it. Because the, yeah. the guy who wrote um, Rango was the same guy. Did, or did he wrote Skyfall quite recently? I think. And did he do? Um, oh, okay. Well, he did something. Like, let me just have a look because there, there was something. Oh, he wrote The Aviator and Last Samurai. So oh, you know, okay. kind of. Different, yeah, different John Logan. Yeah, he worked on Gladiator as well. He's got a pretty and good pedigree. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, you know, he's, he's quite a, obviously talented writer. Um, yeah. And he's just shown that he can do quite good comedy stuff as well. I think he was he very Hugo clever as well, James, which I know you're a fan of. Oh yeah, no, I enjoyed Hugo. They've, they've yeah. signed him up to do the next two Bond films as well. Mm. Okay. They like because so, they enjoyed Skyfall so much. They were just like, yeah, yeah. get you up. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, Rango was was really good. Oppositely to that, though, I watched um, Cars Two. <laughs> uh, which I know is another film that's been discussed on here before, so I, w- I won't sort of tread all ground too much. But yeah, it, it, shit, it, it, it deserves the slate, and it, it has. It's just such a mess. It's just yeah. everything wrong about Pixar, um, and it, it's worrying. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Monsters University, but there has definitely been a trend at Pixar since Cars Two. Which is a worrying downward trend. Did we see the trailer for Planes? By the way, yeah, it looks bad. And and, and I know that's that's not Pixar though. That's Disney on their own. I know Pixar have nothing to do with it. Yeah, but, it's but yeah, using it's, the Pixar technology and using. Oh yeah, no, I agree. And there's there's a worrying and it again to use another tortured football analogy uh, with a dash of computer games here. It's like. I worry that Pixar are the pro-evolution soccer of animation <laughs> and they stormed off on their own and were different and brilliant and they were the thinking man's choice in terms of animation. But actually, I think DreamWorks especially have caught up with them um, and are, and everyone else is doing taking risks and doing different things because they've had to to try and catch up with Pixar and Pixar haven't had any real competition for ages, and I think I think they're um, they're not match fit. Well, they've, they've always had that competition, though. I mean, you know, you think DreamWorks have always been there or thereabouts. They had Shrek, oh, which yeah, was but really the quality popular. wasn't. Uh, yeah, but Shrek three was. Yeah, Shrek, well, but yeah. they came up with Shrek, but then they did to death the sequels, and Pixar never really did to death the sequels. Um, they didn't know, you know but I mean that's an, I think that's they, a f- they always to come up with new and original ideas you know Ratatouille came out and, and was brilliant up and you could you couldn't usually see the other studios coming up with like yeah. incredible ideas like that but it seems to me where are Pixar's incredible ideas because it's now they're doing a monster I love Monsters University but it's a sequel they're doing a Finding Nemo sequel um, you know they have clearly given their blessing to this planes film which is set in the world of cars and it's where's their next original idea going to come from because i quite enjoyed brave but it didn't it didn't feel hugely original um it was it was was a different that that was meant to be uh, it was almost a homage to princess exactly yeah with 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 its own ideas and i think they going back to the sort of competition they've, they've had 
the main rival now, I think, is Studio Ghibli, who are becoming a lot more popular with Western audiences. They've been around for years, well before Pixar. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, with the success of Spirited Away, what that had has kind of given them a whole new platform to, to stand on in, in, in with Western audiences. So that's, that's kind of elevated them now to a status where people will start comparing their films to Pixar. Um, and I think as well, Pixar don't help themselves because a lot of the senior staff at Pixar are massive Ghibli fans. And, and the, you know, yeah. um, I can't remember the name of the guy, the guy who runs Pixar, uh, John Lasseter. Lasseter. He's yeah. got, you know, like a massive, he's got like the cat bus from Totoro and, and you know, different creatures yeah. from from there. And he's got, he treasures, you know, some toy that Miyazaki gave him and things. And they've been very open about their sort of passionate yeah. Following for 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 that whole way of doing animated films, and now that they've got to the top of that, they're inevitably going to get compared. And I think a lot of the time, with their recent stuff, they're just they're not going to come out on top. You know, yeah, Pixar I think, their best are, are are right up there, but their recent stuff has dropped off quite a lot. I think you know it might not be the reason for it, but I, I did watch the. Um commentary dvd commentary on um or blu-ray commentary whatever it is i've got on toy story 3 mm. um i think the reason for the the lack of originality in some of their it, I, th- I still think they do good films but i think you know i really enjoyed brave but i think the, yeah the lack of creating something new and fresh ideas it stems from a little bit i think they're just they're very much a clique the, the people who work mm. at pixar they mm. get their animators from the same place you know, it's the same schools they go yeah. to, to to recruit people. I just they think... They're the same horrific Hawaiian they're shirts tra- <laughs> that they're interviewed on television. Yeah, but they're all sort of trained in the same way and almost trained in the Pixar mm. way. And I think they just... They need a change or to just... Mm. You know, this is I, me I, speaking no, as totally an outsider, but, you know... No, no, I, I, and if you look at the way that... The, basically, the woman who came up with Brave, the way she was kind of treated mm. by Pixar speaks a lot of that kind of culture yeah. actually um, and in a worrying way as yes. well uh, no I totally agree and yeah we'll never know exactly what happened there but she was pretty much just completely sidelined from yeah. a project that she created um, and it was taken over by the blokes who've done the rest of the films kind of thing and no I, I, there is a there's a worry there yeah. yeah I mean what I think would help with Pixar is just for just for them have one film that bombs both financially and critically. Yeah. Something that just doesn't do well with anybody, and for mm. them to just it be the catalyst for their change almost, you know. Yeah. Um, I, but what is great is all of those little shorts that they've got before their films are fantastic. Yes, yeah. And again, I'm hearing brilliant things about the one before Monsters University, which is about two umbrellas or something oh, like yeah, that. Oh yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm hearing for, and there was Paperman last year, which I absolutely adored. So, uh, and um, I mean, let's not let's not give the impression that we're not all massive Pixar fans. Oh no, 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 we are. And, we're and still it's really because we love quality. them so much that we are being critical. Uh, it's because we don't want them to stop being brilliant. That I think it's because we care too much. Yeah. Okay, uh, Owen, didn't you watch another film this week? <laughs> I did watch another <laughs> film, which I would. I know we've gone on for a long time about, about Pixar. I didn't mean to go uh, to start a big rant like that, but um, one of my winter preview films I chose, um, which seems a long time ago now, but it was The Man with the Iron Fists, which came out in March, eventually in the UK. 
Um, it seemed to get a lot of stick from a lot of different people who, you know, from kung fu film enthusiasts to people who just like RZA or RZA, the guy who's from, was he Wu-Tang Clan, who directed yeah. the film, and starred Those in the film and wrote the film and produced the film and, yeah, everything. Um I mean, yeah, okay, fine. He's he's very inexperienced at what he's doing. I think that's fair to say. Uh, perhaps it's also fair to say he's not a very good actor. And I w- after watching this, I would think it's also fair to say he's not a very good scriptwriter. Um, but he definitely, definitely, definitely loves kung fu films, and it just sort of the, the whole film just bleeds owed to to old kung fu films, you know. And so to give him a little bit of credit. I think what he did with the directing in this as well, it was decent. I mean, he made it his own style. Mm-hmm. It is similar to, um, say, Django Unchained. That was the first thing that came to my head when I was watching this okay. film. It's got that similar, very violent, but very strong visually, both in terms of like having very vibrant colours to it and also um, just everything's very bold. And I think it, it works quite well in this style of film. Very stylish. Um, maybe lacks a little bit of uh, just something to make it feel a bit more meatier, you know. And it's it's a, it's a very superficial film, but you know, to give him credit, like I say, he he did direct it quite well. Fight scenes in it a little bit ludicrous, as you kind of expect. Lots of high wire fighting with you know people being flung all over the room and lots of big spurting red blood flying across walls and stuff. And it, it is very very violent. Um, but you know fr- from that you get the feeling the cast had a lot of fun making it. So Russell Crowe p- plays an old English soldier called Jack Knife. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> Yeah, yeah, and he absolutely hams it up. I mean, it's proper chewing the scenery kind of performance, and I think he steals the show whenever he's on there. His his accent again. I don't think he's very comfortable doing English accents, so I don't know why he keeps choosing to do it. But it's just one minute he's. But I thought it was quite good in Man of Steel. Yeah, I thought he's all right. Plummy accent was quite good there. <laughs> not in it that lot, not a lot though. But you know, like in uh, Robin Hood, for example, his accent oh, all yeah, over the yeah, place. That was. Yeah. In this, he starts off Cockney and gets more sort of posho gentry English soldier type as it goes along. Um, and then he, he has some awful lines as well. I mean, some of the yeah. dialogue in this is just... It's so cliched as well. I bet he makes it work because he's the best but fucking actor he does. in the world. He, honestly, he does. There's stuff in here like... He says something like, reports of my demise were greatly exaggerated. That's not an ode to another film. That's not a you know homage to other Kung Fu films. That's just a plain bad cliche yeah. line but the way he delivers it is very he's got screen presence he's got screen he? presence he's yeah. got screen presence so he was quite good a little bit disappointed with uh, Lucy Liu who I'm not a massive fan of but I watched her in the um, TV series Elementary with John Lee Miller and she's good in that she's got a lot of range and she's you know quite funny when she needs to be and yeah okay the film is uh, the TV series is a little bit you know very American with its um very sentimental stuff, and she, you know, but she she's quite good in that. But in this, she was a bit rubbish. I don't think it helped her character, which was um, a brothel uh, owner. But mm. she she's Madame Blossom, I think her name was. She's yeah, it's not a great character. There's not a lot of depth to it, and she, she doesn't have a lot to do. But when she does do what she's doing, she's not very good. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's got a lot of people in, like Dave Batista, who was in WWE, um, yeah. and. Uh, 
Vic Yoon, who's a quite a famous Asian actor. Oh, yes. And yeah. Kung Lee. He was in something recently. Yeah, yeah. Kung Lee, who's um, been in a few films. He was in a film called Dragon Eyes with John Claude Van Damme and was actually better than Van Damme in that. So, Whoa. You know, yeah. High praise indeed. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, I mean, some of the performances, they're not outstanding, but they work within the context of the film. So, I think it's been a little bit harshly um battered by critics um i think if you like kung fu films anyway you'll probably enjoy this to some degree uh but yeah i I enjoyed it yeah so it was yeah worth worth renting okay um well i think that's all for what we've been watching uh so next we've got triple bill so triple bill this week is the our three best or worst movie jobs or best or worst movie companies to work for in honour of the internship that none of us are going to see. Yeah, the two-hour advert for Google, which Google didn't even have to pay for. Unbelievable. Um, Anyway, so, uh, James, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I'll start us off. I've I've gone for three of the worst jobs in movies. Um... The first one I'm going to go for uh, is research scientist. Um, I've worked in medical research uh, and even in university laboratories, not doing the actual science stuff. Uh, that would be ludicrous. And as anyone who's ever he- heard me talk would know, that's, yeah, I've not got, not got brain power for that. Um, but I've seen enough to know that on the whole, research scientists who work in these areas, they experience the same monotonous days of very little happening that the rest of us do. But in films... Well, research scientists are basically only just below cops the day before they retire in terms of <laughs> shit about to blow up in your face, um, both figuratively speaking and quite often in a literal sense. Um, they don't get paid much. Their life expectancy is atrocious. Uh, but at least they know there's no point paying into a pension. Yeah, the examples <laughs> I've got here are The Thing, okay? They're just out of the... Ant- it's pretty shit being out of the Antarctic anyway, and then aliens come along and turn into dogs and kill her. Prometheus, again, just poor little research scientist and all the shit kicks off there. Hollow Man, you get <laughs> Kevin Bacon being all rapey all over you. It's not nice. Um, the Incredible Hulk, well, you know, no need to go further into that. World War Z, even, okay, so that's a lot of those are kind of science fiction-y action films. Okay, how about the five-year engagement? Perfectly happy couple committed, nearly throw it all away when one of them joins the research team in the university environment. So research scientists are my first choice there. Um, my second choice is quite a specific one here, um, and it is drummer in the British rock band Spinal Tap. Um, one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. Not only do you have to worry about playing cancelled gigs, gigs being transferred to US Air Force bases, or playing amusement parks built beneath the puppet show. You know, so it's pretty... The, the morale's not good for this. Uh, your mortality rate is worse than that of a peasant during the Black Death. Just as an example, here are some spinal tap drummers uh, and ways in which they died. Uh, John Stumpy Peeps died in a bizarre gardening accident. Um, Eric Stumpy Joe Childs choked to death on someone else's vomit. Uh, and as uh, Nigel Tufnell points out, you can't dust for vomit. You just can't do it. So they, they have no idea what happened there. Peter James Bond exploded on stage during the Isle of Lucy Jazz Blues or Blues Jazz Festival. Um, and as uh, uh, Davidson Hubbard says, he is one of dozens of people who spontaneously combust each year. It's just not widely reported. Um, 
Mick Shrimpton exploded on stage during the 1982 Japanese tour, and Joe Mama Bessa is missing, presumed dead, <laughs> or returned to the world of jazz. Um, so yeah, basically, he's the job. And in fact, in an interview in uh last few years, um, they said that for one of their recent albums, they decided not to use a drummer at all, but to use a drum machine, uh, use a program, and the computer crashed. <laughs> so, you know, they've just got no luck with drums. So that's that's my second choice there. And my final choice um, is probably the biggest job in the world, actually. Most powerful job in the world. In real life, it looks like it mixes quite a lot of fun with all the pressure. Uh, you know, fancy getting Stevie Wonder or Beyonce to play a gig at your house. Free holidays at Camp David, trips around the world. Everyone treating you with respect to your face. I'm talking about the President of the United States of America. This is the worst job in films. Um, in real life, you get to build a library when you retire. Uh, and and still have men paid to take a bullet for you. In the movies, though, you are a nut job. Uh, you, you're a target for every nut job on the planet. And somehow, they always get to you as well. So it could be in your home. Uh, just this year, we've got Olympus has fallen and White House down. That's no good. Uh, on your plane, Air Force One starring Harrison Ford. Or Escape from New York with Donald Pleasance, who gets captured by some groovy... Uh, uh, well, Chef from South Park. Was <laughs> Isaac Hayes. Isaac Hayes takes you prisoner uh, with his weird gangs, and you've got to rely on Kurt Russell um, coming to rescue you. Um, and also, just if if aliens turn up, you're again the first person they've got to speak to. So Independence Day, and Mars attacks, being the president of the United States of America in the film is the worst job ever. Uh, and that's my three. Okay. Um, I went with. Um, best film jobs and by far the best one I've seen was uh, Fridge Repairman from this 18 minute short film I watched last night oh yeah <laughs> wow wow <laughs> no on a, on a more serious note I went for worst worst film jobs as well and um, I was more specific than James so I thought that's what we were meant to do <laughs> that, do you know what this was quite a loose free flowing triple bill you were yeah. meant to do whatever felt good Steve yes and I did that's why I watched that 18 minute short film last night <laughs> <laughs> anyway the first um, job uh, in my list is any low ranking officer on um, on Star Trek oh red shirt anyone wearing a red shirt who then gets asked to you're coming along on this mission. You're coming down to the planet with us because you know you're going to die. There's, yeah. there's no positive history from those guys. They they don't even give them a name. It's like, you, you come in, yeah. and they don't come back. And do you know what, Steve? They're probably research scientists, <laughs> poor bastards. <laughs> Some of them probably are. They've probably got even yeah. no, no formal training in, in weapons or anything. Just like no. there's, there's some bad guys down there. Uh, I've seen you walking in the hall. You can come along. Yeah. Uh, I don't think... Uh, I could do a triple bill of worst movie jobs without mentioning any kind of admiral in Star Wars, in the Empire. <laughs> because you make one little mistake and you're getting strangled by the Force. You know, yeah. Some of them are quite understandable. I think one of them loses the Millennium Falcon because it turns off all kinds of power and just floats off into space with some rubbish. Yeah. That's not good enough, you're getting strangled by the yeah. Force. Show any kind of lack of faith. Whoa. Just basically... Don't agree with Darth Vader on anything, even if it's what's for lunch in the canteen, you're going to get strangled. Yeah. 
And, and it doesn't matter if you're not even next to him. You could be on a ship light years from him, and you, it's still going to happen. Yeah, you got to make. True. You know, I hate to think of the poor bloke who said, "Don't fire on that escape pod. There's no one in it." Yeah, yeah, that's right. Or if you phone in sick. Yeah, that's it. You phone outside. Darth can't come in. Death grip. <laughs> Just from from the Death Star. It's harsh. Do you think the em- if you manage to escape him, some fucker comes and blows up the giant moon sized planet sized space station that you're on anyway. Yeah. So. Exactly. Oh, yeah. No. Vader, boom! Some little freak from Tatooine's just blowing everything up. Yeah. Brilliant. To be fair, they're working for the Empire. Deserve everything they get, if you ask me. It's a job at the end of the day. I mean, some sometimes when unemployment's high, you can't really pick and choose who you work for. You can't afford <laughs> yeah. to have morals. It's so, like some do, people do work you... in call centres. Some people decide yeah. to go on genocidal missions to join up with evil empires. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's all a job. Yeah. <laughs> do you think the Empire's an HR department? They must have. It's a really evil HR department as well. The Rebels have an HR department as well. I reckon it's Admiral Akbar. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen the He's Family Guy? It's a trap. Anytime anyone tries to get you to do anything. <laughs> have you seen the, the Family Guy film? Uh, they did the series, The Blue Harvest and whatever. Yeah. yeah, no, I've never watched that. It's the one Family Guy I might consider watching. I'm not a big fan. They were quite it's good. the one Family Guy I might consider watching, though, because I did like parody. Very, the first one's very good anyway, and the, yeah. and the rest of declining quality as you go along. Yeah, I've only seen yeah. the first one. first one's the best one, yeah. And what's your top choice, Steve? Yeah, my first choice is the chief of the Los Angeles Police Department in Die Hard. <laughs> Okay, yeah. And this is twofold, really. On the one hand, the FBI come down, take over his job, and basically tell him that he's got nothing to do anymore, they're in charge. On the other hand, he's got John McClane in there, he's not even LAPD, he's NYPD, and he's making them look bad on his own. He's he's doing their job single-handedly. So he's making... So, on one hand, the LA police chief's been made redundant by the FBI being there. On the other hand, he's been made look stupid by one man on his own in the building with a gun and no shoes. He makes himself look stupid in that film, though. He keeps saying that there's no hostages, doesn't he? How do we even know there's hostages? Yeah, he doesn't help himself. No, I, suppose yeah. you can ex- I suppose you can expand it to most police chiefs in cop films because they're always getting made to look stupid by a renegade cop. <laughs> Yeah, but they get to slam their fists and shout and say, "I, I want your badge and your gun." But My ass. Is I always wanted. <laughs> I've always wanted to ask someone for their badge and gun. One day, <laughs> I get to do that. Yeah, so that's my three. Cool. Uh, Owen, what's yours? Uh, okay, I decided to go quite formal as well instead of being quite free and just picking random jobs like. Um, like James did, I went for... There were pl- I mean, there's plenty of jobs that exist in movies, I think, that I'd hate to have purely just from like yeah. a self-preservation point of view. I think being a saloon owner in a Western, for example, that's got to suck, as mm. would, you know, working for Richard Gere's morally, ethically and financially corrupt organisation in arbitrage, that's going to suck as well. But So yeah. I st- started to think about what kind of jobs I would, that I personally would like. If I saw them advertised on the Guardian's website and I applied for them tomorrow, what would they do? But I also wanted them to be quite like focused on movie jobs, so not just yeah. real things that could happen. And so the first one I thought, it's got to be some kind of like explorer or something that, where you discover something new and unseen. And I was thinking maybe on board the ship in Prometheus, um, you know, where you go and un- uncover one of you know mankind's greatest mysteries and like where we are. Where yeah, we come I'll from. tell you what, I've seen that to the end. That, that doesn't end well for you. 
Oh, yeah, that's why. Then I thought, well, no, actually, getting kind research of scientists. <laughs> yeah, ripped apart and killed by various different things. Probably not the best yeah. job. The closest thing I could think of, though, that would be similar would be it was actually working on board the USS Enterprise. Maybe in like a very cushy job. We don't much yeah. danger, but it's still quite exciting. HR. HR. Well, I went a bit higher than HR. I'm aiming for the, the sky here. I went and thought maybe I could like work with Sulu in navigation. You know, oh, something yeah. where you actually, you know, there's not much danger, but you still got a fairly like nine to five job. Is um, yeah. steering a humongous spaceship? That's got to be quite cool. And basically, yeah. being the only crew member who doesn't die at some point. So, you know. Sulu's also the only guy who's got enough free time to raise a family, and he gets promoted as well. No one else gets promoted, so I thought, yeah, I'll have that job. He's clearly in the right job, nice. Yeah, navigating the USS Enterprise, yeah, that's the first job I thought I'd do. Second job I thought uh, it requires a little less explanation than that, um, if you kind of listen to this podcast before and know anything about me, and that's been part of like the clean-up crew in Night of the Living Dead, you know, one of those sort of films. Yeah. Yeah, not Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead's pretty... It's a bit more yeah. gruesome and a bit more bleak, I think. In in Romero's original film, they make it seem a bit more fun. You know, they're basically yeah. just going around. Um, they, they, okay, the, the, it's like a posse, isn't it? It is, just yeah. Going around just having barbecues, shooting zombies, <laughs> flying helicopters. You know, I think the only downside would probably be the psychological trauma you'd suffer from, like, shooting dead children who were trying to eat your guts. But yeah. that bit aside, you know, it was probably quite a fun job for a while, you know. Yeah, I bet, I bet there's good camaraderie and yeah, exactly, yeah. Like little jokes and oh yeah, no, that'd be fun. So yeah, no, that, I'm with you on that. That's my my second choice. Then I thought, well, okay, what's the worst worst job uh, I can think of in a movie? And I, I was initially going for something that I thought might be quite extroverted and shallow, like um, like uh, being part of the Expendables or something, where you know, basically, nobody really gives a shit if you live or die, and you're just going in to shoot people, and that's not cool, and that's not great, and that's not what I want to do at all. Then I thought, well. No, okay, the opposite to that then is pretty much the, the worst job. And, you know, as much as I enjoy writing, I do quite like writing reviews of stuff and, and that. But I could think of nothing worse, really, than being a caretaker in a remote, haunted hotel built on top of an ancient <laughs> Indian burial ground in the middle of winter um, with nothing but like a tennis ball and a typewriter to kind of keep you occupied. So, Jack Nicholson's oh, yeah, that, job in The Shining, probably my That is favorite. a shocker of a job. I did see um, someone, and I feel really bad because I'm not going to be able to credit them properly. Someone on Twitter this week um, just said that The Shining is basically a documentary of what happens if your internet goes down for two <laughs> days. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, that's that's a really good shout there. So that's probably my least. Um, that, that I probably wouldn't spend a lot of time preparing an application for that job, if I'm honest. So those are my three okay, choices. Um, Jerry, what is your three? Well, first off, I went for I went for crap jobs, and I thought about people whose jobs were very significant to them or stuck out, and who were miserable or whose jobs just seemed shit. And the first one that came to mind was Harry from Dumb and Dumber as a dog groomer. <laughs> oh god yeah of course because just purely because of the van I mean it's yeah funny. and Harry's so stupid he, he kind of likes it because he's, he's really thick but yeah that van the hairy dog van <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's not good I thought I would definitely not want to do that the other <laughs> thing when I thought of sort of people who are miserable about their jobs another one that came to mind was 
being whatever it is. I don't know don't know what it is, but whatever office function that is in Fight Club. Oh yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's he is what the archetypal worker drones, isn't he? Yeah, and I mean he yeah. is he is I mean I'm talking about Ed Norton's character, he is one mm. horribly unhappy man. Yeah. But I mean, you know, a, a small cog in a, a vast, vast machine. And I thought, yeah, it's probably the best example of someone's job making them completely miserable and yeah. being the catalyst for large-scale change in their life because they <laughs> hate it so much. And then I thought, hold on, no, there's someone who hates the job more, but there's someone who doesn't have the bravery to even do something about it like Ed Norton does in Fight Club. And that is Randall in Clerks. Yeah. <laughs> because he fucking, I mean, he, well, both Randall and Dante, they hate yeah. jobs. And I can't decide whether Dante hates it more or Randall hates it more. Pro- actually, probably thinking about it, Dante probably hates it I, more. Randall doesn't really me, spend much time at, at his job, though, yeah, does no, he? he? He goes to other video stores, to yeah. rent, even though he works in a video store. And sells cigarettes to, like, Small children. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I think Dante, Dante's is because Dante's is worse because he's not even meant to be there today as well, which yeah. makes it even that. That's and I've had that at work where you, yeah, you you have the worst day ever, and I've genuinely said I'm not even meant to be here today, non-ironically. Um, but yeah, that, that I think Clerks itself is just that everyone in that film hates everything they're doing almost. Apart from Jay and Silent Bob, who have got the best job in the world dealing drugs outside the convenience store. <laughs> and apart from Danny's girlfriend, who likes to suck dicks. Yes. <laughs> 47 in a row. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's not start just quoting clerks. Okay, well, I think that rounds up Triple Bill then for this week, unless we had any suggestions from listeners, readers. Oh, I forgot to ask. Shambolic! There was a couple of also runs. In terms of the office okay. one, I thought about office space. Obviously, office space is yeah. a really obvious one. Yeah. Uh, can't remember the, the sort of geeky guy with the glasses. What's his name? Uh, oh. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. big, thick spectacles. Yeah. Anyway, that guy out of office space, he fucking hates his job as well. And I yeah. thought about, speaking of research scientists, James. Yes. The fat guy from Jurassic Park. Yeah, um, uh, amusement park workers was going to be in mind because of um, Adventureland as well, but sp- specifically working for Jurassic Park. Yeah, pretty. Would have been awesome, and then oh fuck, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I also had the, the other also ran I had was um, working for Malcolm Tucker in In the Loop. That must be an mm. utterly soul destroying experience. Um, so yeah, we'll be we'll be back after one final short break with some recommendations for next week uh, for the coming week and telling you um, what we're doing next week. What films are on TV this week that we want you to watch? I'm going to start off Friday night, twenty five past eleven. Old school is on BBC One. Ten years old now, but it's still really ten yeah, years old. About oh. Ten years old, still stands stands up well. Uh, Will Ferrell, Luke Wilson, uh, and others. Um, I tend to watch that at least once a year. I, yeah. I love old school. Great film. 
James, what are you recommending? Uh, mine's a, a, a UK Netflix film, actually. It's not available on US Netflix, UK Netflix. It's quite apt at the moment. Um, everything that's going on with Edward Snowden, the NSA analyst who's whistleblown on the US government. Um, and it's quite interesting. There's a brilliant documentary that I've spoken about on here a long, long time ago called The Most Dangerous Man in America. And it's about uh, a man called Daniel Ellsberg who leaked the Pentagon Papers in 1971, which proved that President Nixon and Henry Kissinger mm. had lied to the American government about the um, the Watergate war in Vietnam. Scandal, wasn't it? Yeah, and it led to Watergate after that. And basically, they went after him with the full force of the law, and he, he stood firm, and he fought back, and he carried on uh, taking them down. So uh, I would say that is... Um, a really, really apt film to watch this week if you get the chance. So it's called The Most Dangerous Man in America and it's on UK Netflix. Okay. Uh, uh, Jerry? I'm going to go with... It's on very late, so it's probably one to record. Uh, a Prophet, which is a French film from a few years ago. Um, it's on at 1am on Film 4 on Thursday night slash Friday morning. Uh, I recommended it purely because I haven't seen it. Everyone always raves about it, and I'm going to be watching it. So it's um, directed by Jacques Odiard, who did Rust and Bone, uh, which is my favourite film last year. Um, and since that came out, I've bought A Prophet and I've bought The Beat That My Heart Skipped, which he did as well. And I've not seen either of those, so I'm going to try and find a chance to watch that. Good choice, uh, Jerry. Owen. Uh, well, I was going to recommend Kill List, which is on Thursday, but it's on at the same time as Jerry's choice. So. <laughs> that's that's what that's what uh, multiple viewing boxes were made for. Exactly. So, so I'm sure. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. Kill list is on directly before a profit because I was setting my recorder earlier. Is it on before it? Okay. I'm yeah. sure because I seem to remember setting them both to record. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, okay, you can record that before then. But also on this week, which I think is worth recording, is Scott Pilgrim versus the World on Channel Four yeah. Saturday, 10 p.m. But I was, I was picking Kill List purely because of um, A Field in England, which is Ben yes. Wheatley's new film that's out on Friday. Yes, which is kind of our, our group recommendation. We'll be reviewing it next week. But it, it's this we mentioned it last week. Definitely try and tune in and watch it. It's this unique form of distribution where it's going to be available on Film 4 at quarter to 11 on Friday night. But you can buy it in the shops that day. You can see it in the cinema that day and you can rent it up via video on demand that day as well. Um, so Friday, Ben Wheatley's a field in England, set in the English Civil War, about two deserters. Seems quite mystical and horrifying and sounds a bit psychedelic as well. I think it's definitely going to be really interesting. Yeah, and it's, it's got a Reese Shearsmith in it, which I'm quite looking forward yes. to seeing him in something, something else. And um, Julian Barrett as well, yeah. who was always my favourite one from the Mighty Boosh. And Michael Smiley as well, who's in Kill List as well, who's very good in Kill there List. Go. Yeah, so. yeah. And was in Luther tonight as well. He was, there yeah. you go. He was in, I've just watched the second series, well, I've watched, watched the first two episodes of the second series of Luther today, so I'm looking forward to watching the... Luther's awesome. Yeah, it's very Yeah, good. watch Luther okay. as well. Yeah, there there's loads. Um, <laughs> I would also like to clarify before the Twitter pedants join in. Um, yeah. We are aware that Doctor Strange Love is on this week. Clearly, it's the best film on. <laughs> just not going to tell you about it because it's on in the middle of the afternoon. So yeah. it's on every week, pretty much. It's on most. It's weeks, on yeah. all the time. But yeah, yeah. I know. I, I said I, last week. Last week was having a conversation, and someone was like, "Oh, that's a stranger was on." And I was just like, 
And there's lots of classic <laughs> brilliant films that are on that are on every week. So yes, okay. there are better films on, but we're not fucking watching them. <laughs> there we go. Uh, okay, what, what are we doing next week? Uh, next week is the return of our TV special. Um, we did a TV special last year, and it's back uh, this year. It'll be slightly different, and... Um, uh, yeah, you'll find out more details in due course. But it's going to be a TV special with a review of a field in England as well because it's showing on TV, so we get away with it. OK, uh, that's all for this week's Failed Critic Podcast then. Join us next week uh, for what we just spoke about. And thank you to everyone who's contributed, everyone who's read and listened to the podcast and the website. And like I said, we'll join you next week. The Fail Critics Podcast was devised and produced by James Diamond, hosted by Steve Norman, with contributions from Owen Hughes and Jerry McCauley. Music is provided by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com, and you can find us at failedcritics.com and on Twitter at, at failedcritics. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.